Let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's go to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 66. Psalm 66. God has been faithful to us in this year. And uh, a lot of times around this, this day or these, this week, we begin to think about our past year, think about what has happened. And uh, many of the, the times we are determined that we will make some adjustments. We will lose some weight. This is the year. This is the year. Uh, some of us think that, you know, this is the year I am going to lose this job. I'm getting a new job. Maybe you're thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose this uh, relationship that need, I need to get out of this thing. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. I'm, I'm not losing another house this year, personally. <laughs> Last year we lost a house. No, no. This year, hopefully, we'll get in there. We're going to keep this one. But, uh, you know, we think about the future and some of the adjustments we want to make, things we want to change. But I want to take the time today, before we finish the year, and I want to look back at what God has done and what God is doing. And we'll look in the book of Psalms and we'll read Psalm 66. Let's read the entire thing and then we'll go back and study it just a little bit this morning. Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Psalm 66, verse 8. Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidst affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth hath spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. Selah. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily, God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we want to say thank you for what you have done and what you are doing. Before we run into the next year and think about what you are going to do, Lord, may we truly be thankful and praise your name for how you have worked in our lives. Help us this morning to do just that. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. 
As we look at Psalm 66, I want you to see how the psalmist takes us from a big picture down to a very personal understanding. He starts with this invitation to the big picture. Come and see what God is doing in the earth. The song here is emphasizing God's preeminence over the nations. Most of this psalm, as you go through it, you, you, can, you can see that it is dealing with the second advent of Jesus Christ. When the creator of the universe comes in the form of man, glorified man, Jesus Christ, to rule over the nations. There's all kinds of references here to the millennium, to the Jews in the tribulation. But I want you to see verse number one. He said, make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. That includes Russia, that includes Ukraine, that that includes even China, includes Thailand, it includes Iran, Iraq, all of the nations of the earth. And it includes America. There's coming a day when all of the lands of this world will make a joyful noise unto God. He said... How terrible, in verse number three, art thou in thy works. Terrible. What does that mean? Well, we think not not as rotten, not horrible, terrible. Something that can cause terror or awe. It's not very often in America that you can cause someone to stand in awe. Typically, we have to get away from humans. We have to get out to places like the Grand Canyon or Yosemite National Forest perhaps Glacier National Park. When you see the grandeur, the scale of what God has done in the earth, you begin to realize that mankind truly is a paltry little thing. Why? Why do we think that we are so great? I think sometimes we think we're great because we haven't got out enough. We haven't got out of our little world out of our little schedule and our regimen, out of our little circle of friends, out of the people that we follow on social media, out of the little schedule that we have of going to work and coming home and the restaurants we frequent, the songs that we listen to. We live in a little world. The psalmist is saying, hey, I want you to come and see what God is doing in the entire earth. He said, what he's doing is great. How great is it? Well, God is working to where verse number four becomes a reality. All the earth shall worship thee. I'm thankful to live in America where we have what we call religious freedom. That means no one can force you to worship God or to worship a particular God, or to attend a religious service. It has not always been that way in America. There have been many people that were put in jail because they would not attend the Sunday services, or they thought so boldly to have their own church services. And the state church of that time said, no, you can't do that. And they would be put in jail, which is the reason why we have those provisions in our Bill of Rights. The Congress shall make no law concerning the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. But that's because mankind 
is preferential, divisive, small-minded. Mankind loves to fight. And so we put some things in our Constitution to say, we're not going to fight over religion, and you can't hurt people uh, because of your religion. But I want you to see something here. God is above all of what we consider tolerance. He's above all of the broad-mindedness and the equal opportunity that we think of. See, when God decides that all the earth shall worship him, they are going to do so. You say, well, I can't even imagine a God who would be so unkind, who would force people to come and worship. Well, before we do that, may I remind you that it wasn't too long ago where our government said, do this, and everybody said, we're going to do that. We all line up. Why? Because there are, there's a greater power than just one person. Does God have the power? He certainly has the power. Not only, not only does he have the power, he has the right. Why? There's only one being that is truly worship of, worthy of worship, and that is our God. You see, because the God who commands all the nations to worship him first came himself in the person of Jesus Christ and offered his blood for the salvation of every man and woman in every nation. Does God have the right? Yes, he does. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God owns it all. And yet God has given opportunity for people to mock him and to laugh at him. He sees the nations. He sees their greed. He sees their poverty. He sees their violence. He sees the perversion in this world. He sees the drug trafficking and the sex trafficking. He sees their attitude towards authority, towards his words, towards Jesus Christ. He sees that people take his precious name and use it as a curse word. He sees the attitude of the world towards the people of God. Notice what he does in verse number five. He said, come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing. I want you to remind you that God has preeminence over the nations. He, verse six, turned the sea into dry land. Verse seven, he ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. He sees it all. He sees what is going on. Sometimes as believers, we forget that God is at work. We see the nations and the perversion thereof, and we say, how could God allow it? And the only answer we can imagine is that somehow God will rescue us out of this, and indeed he will. The Bible speaks clearly of the rapture of the church, that God is going to take his people out secretly, It's a beautiful thing. But I want to remind you that our God is not sneaking in trying to find out how he can fix things. He is working behind the scenes. God is at work in the nations. Look what he says. All the earth, in verse number four, shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. You see, this is going beyond just forcing someone, twisting their arm behind their back. There's coming a point when people are going to sing praise to Jesus Christ. Don't forget that, believer. They shall sing. 
All the nations of the earth are going to come up to the nation of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem, and worship the king of kings. God is working towards that end. We sometimes think of the Antichrist and how his, his spirit is already in the earth. The spirit of Antichrist. And how it is uniting people. And we see uh, it, how nations are coming together. Religions are coming together. It's almost as if there are no borders at all anywhere. Everyone just come together. We think that's the work of the beast and the false prophet. And truly it is. May I remind you that the beast and the false prophet are imitators of the one true God. It's God's design to pull all of the nations together. Not without him, but that is what he is going to do. What will happen in those days? All of the different families of the earth will have their place and will have their functions. But all of them will be united under the worship of the one true God. That is the direction that we are headed Now, we have some bumpy road before here and there. But believer, I want to remind you of the big picture. The psalmist is talking about something much bigger than what happens to our country. Or what happens right there over in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. This is much bigger. This goes beyond all borders. And what are they singing about? Notice in verse 4, they're singing to thy name. This is a song about Jesus Christ. How many songs have been written about Jesus? Millions. I have a collection of 75 hymnals or so, something like that. There are hundreds and thousands of songs in those books. And that's just mainly in the English language. There are hymnals of songs packed full, written about God and to God that number into the millions. It's interesting when you stop and compare the one true God with other religions. What are the famous songs that you know of from Islam? What are the songs that we've all come to kind of accept? I mean, we sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Where are the songs from Buddhism? You know why? We write about things that are the best, that are the greatest, that are the most marvelous. And that's why these folks here are singing unto thy name. This is the name of Jesus Christ, the one who made the solar system. The one who gave us life. The one who protected us all of our life. We're breathing oxygen today because God has been watching over us every step of the way. The one who brought us through, as the, as the songwriter said, through many dangers, toils, and snares. How many times have you been in a near-death situation? How many times have we heard, the doctor said, if it had been one inch closer to his heart, or if she had been in the passenger side, or, or if, if, if the, 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 the medical personnel had not gotten there soon enough, if they'd been five minutes late, she never would have made it. How many times have we thought of that? May I remind you, the reason why we sing to God is because of these things that he is doing, and he's doing them all over the globe. Behind the scenes, God is working. He's the one who redeemed us, who granted us the new birth. The one that we will meet at the end of the race. Sing, he said, they shall sing to thy name. The psalmist then moves from the big picture to corporate praise. Corporate praise. 
He talks about the nations, and now he begins to talk about us. Speaking, of course, of Israel. But this morning, we having been grafted in, in a sense, as the spiritual Israel, we can understand what he's saying. He invites them to bless the Lord. He says in verse 8, Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life. Praise him. It's one thing to know that God is working in the earth with all the nations, and truly he is. And remember that the next time you listen to Glenn Beck. Remember that the next time you tune in to Anderson Cooper, or you tune in to Fox News. Remember that God is at work. But may I remind you, we need to bring it in even closer. God is at work among his people. He says here, bless our God, ye people. Bless him. Shouldn't we, as God's people, be the first in line to bless our God? He said, he, because of the protection that he provides for us, which holdeth our soul in life. Some of you have pacemakers. Pacemakers are put in to help us stay alive. It's really nice to stay alive, isn't it? And you have that little jolt of electricity that tells your heart, hey, keep working. Let's do this the right way so this person can stay alive. But I want you to think about this. Some of us don't have pacemakers. What, who's given that little jolt of electricity? Who's telling the heart to beat? I've said this many times. I've never once thought, okay, heart, it's time to beat. Let's go. Let's do it. This time, really strong. I have no control over it. It just happens. When I, when I inhale, and I don't know if you've ever had, knocked the, had the wind knocked out of you. When you have that, when that happens, I remember one time falling out of a branch of a tree and I fell on my back and uh, I couldn't understand what's wrong. I'm alive, I know I'm alive, but I feel like I'm not alive at the same time. You know why? The wind was knocked out of me. But you know what's amazing about wind is that you don't actually suck it in. All you do is expand that lung area, the lung cavity with your ribs. You expand that and the air rushes in to equalize it. It's an amazing thing. What happens is automatic. And then when that oxygen comes in, you don't tell all of those capillaries in your lungs to assimilate the oxygen. You don't tell your lungs, okay, now it's time to take that and let's get some of that oxygen into the bloodstream. It just happens. And it's been happening every minute of every hour of every day of every year of your life. And it continues to happen. And it continues if you ever want to know how precious life is, hold your breath and keep holding it. You know what's even interesting about that? You cannot hold your breath and pass out. People hold their breath, hold their breath as long as they can. And then somehow there is an idiot button that God pushes and your body will start taking oxygen in. Why? God wants you alive. That's why he gave you the ability to assimilate oxygen. God wants you alive. That's why he gave you a heart that continually pumps blood throughout every single area of your body. And yet sometimes we forget that it is God that's keeping us alive. As I get older, I no longer have the same cat-like reflexes that I always enjoyed. Boy, I was quick. 
I love playing basketball, football, and I recently was made aware of the fact that I don't love it as much as I used to. And I'm telling you, that was one thing. When you grow up, if you, I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of times when guys grow up and play organized sports, they tend to not, not follow through on it uh, when they get in their 20s and 30s because they kind of burned out. They kind of worn themselves out. There's just so much, you know, coaching and make sure you do all the right stuff and regulations and, you know, time clocks and refs and all that. It just kind of burns you out. For people like me, I grew up, I played street ball. I played in the fields. Remember back when people used to play football out in the field? Remember that? Kids used to play, you know, sandlot football or, you know, two-hand touch or tackle sometimes. You know, those, those times, I remember, I remember being able to turn on the speed, you know, what I considered speed. And I remember being able to try harder and, and to learn and to, to move. And, you know, as time goes on, I, I, I realized what a gift God had given me and that health. Because now it's not exactly the same. You've heard the classic statement, Dunlap disease. Right? Where, where, where your belt dunlapped over your, your, your stomach dunlapped over your belt. It's a terrible, it's a terrible disease. I recommend not getting it. But you know, it's interesting. I, I, didn't, I didn't put a timer and say, well, that's probably when I'm going to start losing. That's probably when I'm going to start losing a step. That's when I'm going to get a little bit slower. That's when I'm not going to have the same oomph that I used to have. I don't remember exactly when it happened. And I'm thankful that even at this advanced age that I'm in, I can go back and we can work out and exercise and lose weight. You know, it's so interesting. A lot of times you don't even try at that stuff. And then now you have to try, right? But may I ask you this question? Where did that ability to walk around, to run, to move, to lift things, where did that come from? It came from God. You see, God has given us protection in our life. God's the one that's kept our feet from not being moved, he says in verse number 9. We're alive today because God has kept us alive. You say, well, I don't want to be alive anymore. No, don't forget that life is a gift from God. I want you to see something else interesting about this corporate praise He says, bless God for the protection he's given us. But then he says, praise him for his purging. This one is a little more difficult. He says in verse 10, for thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Trial. Silver. What do you mean try? It means test. It means to prove. It means to see what's under the surface. You know, we look back at 2023. What do we see? If you're a child of God, you've seen God purging you. You've seen God proving your heart. What's a wonderful thing about our God, one of the wonderful things, is that God is not only working in the earth, he is working in us. He's working inside of us. Because there's things in my mind and heart that you don't know. There's things in your heart and mind that I do not know, but God knows it all. And God is not interested in just dragging a body to heaven. Get up here, shut up, and sit down. No, when God saves someone, when God moves in, he begins to renovate. And he begins to work and update. He takes over as we allow him. He says here, thou hast proved us. What, how did he prove us? 
Well, he put us into the fire. That's how you purify silver. What if God just allowed you to continue in 2023 as you had been in 2022? What if the things that, he, that you knew you wanted to fix, God just said, well, whatever, we'll just, you know, just keep breathing before you die. And then, you know, a lot of Christians seem to think that's what it's all about. Just keep taking oxygen in. Just keep doing your thing. And thank God there's a heaven somewhere and God's somewhere beyond the blue. May I remind you, God is working in you. He is not on the outside trying to get in. He's on the inside, tr- inside trying to get some junk out. He's teaching you things. And what's interesting is God does not, God knows a lot more about what needs to go than what we do. Because there's some things in my heart, I was kind of, I thought they were pretty good. And the Lord said no. Notice this, the, the, the psalmist says, thou broughtest us into the net. You say, I feel trapped. You know, it could be God trapped you. God allowed you to be put into a cul-de-sac. You know what cul-de-sac means? The bottom of the sack. It it, it actually is nothing more than a hunter who has his quarry in a bag. And you say, I don't want to be in that place. I don't like this. Get me out of this phase. I've suffered enough. God said, I got you right where I want you. He brought you into the net. You see, this is a different kind of praise. This goes beyond, thank you for my new car and my promotion. This goes beyond, thank you for my wonderful health and my awesome children with perfect white teeth. This goes beyond, Lord, thank you so much for such an amazing house and perfect neighbors and a job that just fulfills my every whim and desire. This is another type of thing. This is real praise. It's recognizing that God can take things that we say are bad and he can use them. He did it with the nations and he's doing it, but he's doing it with his people. Look what he says in verse number 12. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. You know what bothers a guy a lot of times? The guy over him. The guy that's in authority over me. The guy that is above me. If you're a sibling, you have an older sibling. Sometimes uh, the, the, the older sibling is the one that bothers you. And sometimes you wonder, why is it that they get to be up there? Why is that woman bothering me so much? She's put pressure on me. Hey, notice here the psalmist said... When it comes to the nation of Israel, God's the one that caused men to ride over our head. And I don't know exactly all that it felt like, but I know this. It hurts. It humbles. It bothers you. It makes you feel like like less of a person. Maybe that's the way you feel this morning. Your circumstances have been brought to a place where you are humbled, where you are brought down into the dust. He says, we went through fire and through water. You know, you thought one of them would be enough. Why do you have to have the fire that burns and destroys and devours and then water that suffocates? 
God allows trials in our lives as as his people. He said here, but thou hast brought us out. See, I don't know if you're under that rider right now that's riding on your head. I don't know if you're in the fire or if you're in the water or if you're about to go in or if you're just coming out. That's, none of these things are the point. I want you to back up and see that there is a God who is at work. A God who puts some people in the fire. A God who causes some to have people ride over their head. A God who causes some to go through the water. And yet God's design is not to put you down into the dirt and smash your face in it and make you eat dirt the rest of your life. No, God intends to bring you out. But when, when is he going to do it? I don't know. I don't know. But I know that he is going to. Because he promised that he would walk, that walk with you through the valley of death. God did not bring you to this point of being in the bottom of the sack, of being in the fire, of being suffocated just to bring him glory through that. No, no, no. God is using those things to bring you through to a new place. There's an invitation to corporate praise. And lastly this morning, there's an invitation to personal praise. Personal praise. He says in verse number 13, I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. I want you to see here, this this invitation is first of all to something which might be considered a ritual. Maybe a formal exercise. Going to the house of God with burnt offerings. That was a requirement of everyone in the nation of Israel. I will pay thee my vows which my lips have uttered. And my mouth hath spoken when I was in trouble. You ever find yourself promising God and negotiating with God? God, if you will, then I will. And listen, you're not the first one to do that. And I don't know that God is upset at people that do that. I, I think it's a natural thing. Why? When you're in the middle of it, you're saying, God, make it stop. We were discussing uh, recently... Uh, my wife and I and our daughters were talking about uh, when she was uh, pregnant with our first and how she went into the hospital and, uh, and, and they finally had to induce her and they finally had to, um, and, and then it, it led to uh, uh, an epidural. And uh, I said, you know, man, I, and, and my, my daughter asked me for some reason, she said, would you get an epidural? I said, oh, there's no question. No question. That's not even a, I wouldn't even, number one, I wouldn't even go through the pain of having a child, number one. Number two, everything, give it to me. Give it to me. Take the child out, raise the child, whatever, you know. I'm not not into that. You know why? It's why? Because, Because I want it to stop. And I'll negotiate when I get in the place of pain, negotiate. You know what the psalmist did here? The psalmist said, the Lord brought me out into a wealthy place. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go pay up what I told God that I would do. You see, sometimes if we downplay the idea of vows and promises. You know, the Lord didn't say you shouldn't vow. 
He just said, be careful that when you vow, that you pay. That, that's kind of like, you know, if you, if you put something on a credit card, you should pay it off. Not declare bankruptcy. Right? Now listen, there's circumstances I know people get into, and it's very difficult. I'm not condemning you for whatever you've done. But the whole idea of a negotiation or contract is I'll do this if you do that, and I'll do this, and if you do that, and we have a mutual agreement. Well, this psalmist said, God, I remember, I remember what I said to you when I was in trouble, and I'm going to pay up. Christian, let me ask you this. When you look back at 2023, can you go back to the beginning of the year? Can you go back and see some of the things that you promised God? Maybe it's an attitude that you had and you knew it was wrong. Maybe it was the way that you approached a certain person. Maybe it was a habit that you knew you needed to get rid of. Christian, let me, let me encourage you. There's nothing wrong with duty. Nothing wrong with it. You have a duty to God. If you promised God that you would do something, go back and say, God, I'm here to pay up. I'm here to tell you that I said that and you delivered me and now I'm saying this to you. He said, I'm going to offer sacrifices. I'm going to pay my vows. I'm the one that said it. My lips are the ones that uttered it. So I'm going to pay up. This personal praise starts with ritual sacrifice. Then notice it moves into personal praise. He says in verse 16, Come and hear all you that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. You see, when we started out the psalm, he's talking about all ye lands. And then he talks about his people. But now this pronoun starts creeping in. I, I, I. He said, I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity, that means if I have respect for iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Christian, do you have personal praise in your heart for your God? You see, going to church is a good thing. If you're a child of God, it is a duty. We're commanded to come together and assemble one with another. But does it go beyond that? Can you remember with your mouth uttering praise to your God? You know, this is really the reason that God allows us to go through the fire and through the water. God wants us to praise him personally. He said, I cried unto him with my mouth. What are you using your mouth for? What are you using your tongue for? What are you extolling? You'll find that is there's, there is an inverse relationship between what you're talking about and what you have in your heart many times. And if you don't have the praise of God coming out of your mouth, it's probably because you're regarding something else there. What are you regarding? What are you respecting? Who do you have respect for? The psalmist says, I have respect for God. And since I have respect for God, I can't have respect for iniquity in my heart. Christian, if you look back over 2023, what do you see as far as your attitude towards your creator? Have you grown in praise? 
Have you grown in your ability to speak to God, to open up your heart to him and tell him the things? Or are you trying to bury it under an avalanche of mindless activity? Are you trying to forget yourself and go to a quote-unquote happy place that never actually makes you happy? It just dulls the pain. They call it doom scrolling on the phone. You've got nothing else to do. You've got no hope beyond, so you're looking for someone else's life. Are you regarding iniquity in your heart? God is saying, I'm working. I'm working in the nations. I'm working in the church. And I want to work in your life. He says, in verse number 19, But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. You know, there's a reason why he had to go in to the temple and pay those vows up. Because there was a time when his soul was in trouble. There's a reason why he had to stop and remember his heart and check to see if there were any iniquity there that he had regarded. Why? Because you and I have a tendency to grow and to fall back. To do something for God and then do nothing for God. To try and then to forget. To say, I'm gonna... And then, you know what? I was a little bit over the top. We go up and we go down. We go up and we go down. The psalmist ends this psalm. He said, God's heard my prayer. Why? Because he didn't turn away from me. You know something else he hasn't turned away from me? Is his mercy. He gave me another shot. Where some would say he deserves judgment. She keeps telling me that she's gonna and she doesn't. It's not, listen, there comes a point. It's enough. I'm tired of you promising. I'm tired of you saying that you're gonna and you don't. I'm tired of you pretending to be a Christian that loves me. I'm tired of you saying that you're going to praise me and you don't. You, you, You start and then you stop. You move forward and then you go back. If I'm God, looking at my own life, I'm saying, okay, listen, that's enough. It's time to stop. When you want to get right with me, then you come back and we'll see what we can talk about. But the psalmist had a different experience. He said, God hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. What does that mean? It does not mean that God just wants everyone to live their lives and do whatever they want. Anytime, you know, he might just dump a bucket of mercy on them. By the way, remember, the fact that you're alive is the mercy and grace of God. But I do want you to think about this. You're not going to earn the grace and mercy of God. It's not for sale. It's too expensive. They just can't sell it. He has to give it away. You can't earn it. But I'll tell you how you access it. You come to God. You come like this psalmist did. And you bring your prayer. Not some prayer you read in a book somewhere. Not some prayer that another Christian prays. Not this corporate prayer. He said, the Lord attended to my prayer. Christian, what's your prayer? 
It should start with an understanding of how God has worked in your life. A thankfulness. Praise for his protection. And even praise for his purging. And it should culminate in a personal expression of praise. Personally thanking God for what he has done. Dedication to the Lord begins with an awareness of who God is and a review of what he's done. In verses 1 to 12, he reviews the deeds of the Lord before his dedication to the Lord. You see, it is reviewing the deeds of the Lord that will prompt you to dedicate your life to the Lord. When you see how God has worked in your life and in the lives of those around you, you begin to see this is a God who is worthy of following, a God who is worthy of worship. I want you to see the impact of praise. If we don't see that God is working in the nations, we'll get discouraged. Some of you may have a cloud over your head thinking, how will it happen? What's going to happen? Is there World War III on the brink? Where are we? What's, what, who's going to pull the trigger? Can I just remind you of this? No matter who pulls what trigger and who bombs who, God is at work in the nations. Number two, if you don't realize that God purges his children, you may get disillusioned. The Bible says that he scourges every son whom he receiveth. That if, if, if God really likes you, and by the way, God likes every one of his children. If God really likes you, he's going to train you. He's going to teach you. He's going to help you to be a better child. He's, he's going to make you more obedient, more compliant. And how does he do that? He does it like the military does it. He persecutes you. He turns the heat up in your life. You see, sometimes we think, if I'll behave and do right, I'll never have another problem. And that's not true. If you behave and do right, sometimes you have more problems. But there's a reason for it. Every son, the Bible says, every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. So how do you reward a tree that's bringing forth fruit? You clip the branches back so that more fruit will come. God wants to see more fruit in your life. But if you don't know that, if you forget that, you'll become disillusioned. You'll say, I tried. Imagine someone, a recruit in the army, and said, I want to serve my country, and they keep yelling at me. Yeah, and they're going to keep yelling at you. Why? Because they know even more what it means to serve your country than you do. Your heart that desires to serve and worship God, that's good. But God knows what it means to worship him. God knows what it means to serve him more than you and I do. And so God is going to bring those purgings into your life. Christian, don't run from them. Embrace them. By the way, trying to run from them, how does that work for you? Why not turn and embrace them and say, thank you, God. I am going to recognize your work. Thirdly. If we don't express our personal praise, our personal testimony, we get dry. We get dry. You know, it's one thing to watch people drink water. It's another thing to drink water yourself. It's one thing to watch someone perform some great 
athletic skill or feat. And it's, it, you get in your mind, you know, that's, that's, that's something that I could do if I'd given half a chance. Or that's something that I used to do. But Christian, let me ask you this. What about your personal praise? You know, your body constantly sends out, in, when it speaks, it's constantly sending out vapor. And it's very difficult. If you speak for a long period of time or a lot over a period of several days, you'll begin to, what, lose your voice. You know what that is? That's your vocal cords getting dry. You're dehydrated. And so instead of them flapping like this, they become like this. They're raspy. They're like sandpaper. You know what happens in the life of a believer? Often. They're not taking in the word. They're not rejoicing in the Lord. They're not remembering what God's done for them. And so when it it comes time to praise, they lost their voice. They're hoarse. They can't even be understood. They can't make a sound. Why? Their soul hasn't been filled up with God and who he is and what he's done. Christian, maybe it's been a while for you. Maybe you're dehydrated spiritually. I want to encourage you to look back over 2023 and watch some of the biggest things that you were afraid of didn't happen. The things you didn't even know were going to happen happened even though you weren't prepared. And God's using all of that. Behind the scenes is our God. I want you to review this morning. Review and then praise. Let's bow our heads.